Now it's time for the Disney View Podcast. Please move across your car to make room for everyone. Our podcast will begin momentarily. Join Dave as he makes his Grand Circle tour around the Walt Disney World Resort. Dave is a dreamer and an engineer who enjoys the magic and wonder of it all, but understands Disney's place in history and respects the legacy that's been left. Come along and hear Dave's thoughts about Walt Disney World and see it through Dave's eyes. Please stand clear of the podcaster. Por favor, mantenganse alejado del David. And now, here's your host. Hey everyone, it's Dave. Welcome to another edition of Dave's Disney View Podcast. Well, I haven't done a news item in a while. It's been a couple of months since the last time I talked about Disney news, and there's a fair amount going on. So I thought I'd focus in on some Disney news, more maybe focused on the Walt Disney World Resort than Disneyland or the other parks, but certainly there'll be some mention of other parks in here as well. So we'll start off with Walt Disney World. And one of the interesting things that's happening there at Walt Disney World is sort of this cash grab that's going on. I talked in a previous podcast about how I see Disney as sort of changing their mindset and being all about the bottom line. And you can see more of that happening with some of the subtle things that they're doing. For example, this three hours after our party that they're having in the Magic Kingdom. Now, they've been testing it out for a while. They've kind of set it up in a way where they have this party that they, that they have going. And it's a limited number of attractions that are open, and you get a little bit of a, you know, some food, but not really a, a meal. It's just you know some snack items, and you get a chance to go around and visit several different attractions. So they, they set the limit, as I understand it, at about 3,000 people. The first night that they tried it, they got 1,000 people to come out, and it was about half and half people that were paying the $150 that they offered, and about the other half we're paying about half of that because they were either DVC or annual pass holders who were offered a half price ticket to come just to make it uh, work. So basically, for the people that were the not full price paying guests, you paid about $75 to come in for the three hours. Now, $75 for three hours, you know, that seems somewhat reasonable. There's sort of a price point, you know, what will the market bear, where's the right place and whatever. But you could make the case that while people enjoyed it, it was somewhat of a flop. They had planned on having 3,000 people, you know, to staff it up and have the attractions running, the electric, everything else they need to do to, to keep everything running, probably cost them more than they made for the thousand or so people they had there. So kind of interesting that, uh, that it kind of worked out like that way. And I understand that for some DVC members, they even gave them tickets for free, sort of a comp thing that they were doing, to try and make it right. Uh, to try and make things work a little differently, to, to simply boost the number of people that were in the park so it didn't feel like it was such a, a, a truly exclusive event. So I think Disney has not found the price point that works yet. They've had a couple more of these since then, and I think that they just haven't found that, that right trigger yet that makes people want to come. Now, you can compare this to what's going on with Mickey's Not-So-Scary Halloween Party and uh, Mickey's Very Merry Christmas Party that go on later in the year. These are also after-hours events. They last for longer. They're about uh, five hours, but they're open and everything's open and there's additional entertainment. So it's actually a better value and the price point is lower than the $150. Now, to be honest, the thing about it is there's, it's not as exclusive. They set the limit that's much higher than 3,000 people. So the uh, price point that they set is under $100 for these events. 
And this year they've announced that they're going to have a variable ticket pricing based on when it is and when you go. So day of the week and also the time of year that you go. So if you go well before Halloween, it's much much cheaper than if you go very close to Halloween. If you go on a weekday, it's cheaper and so on. So they have different price points they're setting to try and figure out what the market will bear. And I find it interesting that these tiered prices are now part of what they're doing. Now, they so far, they've picked days that are not really high-profile days. You know, they did these after-hours events that they've tried on, like, Tuesdays and Wednesdays, you know, when the park closed at, like, 8 o'clock, so that they could do some things to make it effective and actually see how it would work. I'm not sure where this would let out, but I know that Disney listens to guests' feedback. So the fact that guests didn't come, the fact that guests had some thoughts about it, maybe not, not the most positive thoughts, tells me that they're kind of probably going to change what they're doing and think about it a little differently so that it won't be that way and that next time when they offer it, it'll have a little bit better offering. Now, they're also trying on the other end to do a morning event where they would do the morning event before the park opens. So from like 7 to 9 or 7 to 9.30, something like that, they would have people coming in the park. The price point on that is a little bit cheaper and they're offering breakfast to go along with it or at least a continental breakfast to go along with it to get people in the park. Now, that one so far has seemed like it's been met with a little bit less criticism in a way. feels like it's kind of going in a good direction and things are going about right with it. But I'm not sure if that one's, how that one's going to work out either. Now, the other piece to this puzzle is I saw something interesting that in the Magic Kingdom, they're now going to be offering destination weddings in the Magic Kingdom. Now, you can have the Magic Kingdom to yourself before park opening. At, say, 7 o'clock in the morning, you can come in and be in front of the castle and get married they're also going to be offering certain times of day during the day when you can get married and you can be surrounded by thousands of your closest friends. So basically you would come in the park, you would have your wedding and you would be in a, in a, ne- a section that's cordoned off there in front of the castle by the hub and you would be able to have the wedding ceremony happen there while other people on the outside of the hub could watch the ceremony going on. So this is interesting. It's, it's a twist on what Disney is doing, but you get that fairy tale experience right in front of Cinderella's castle. Good or bad? I'm not really sure. Because again, it's, it seems like you're taking away and detracting from the original experience that the Magic Kingdom is all about and finding all of these different things to kind of monetize it in some way, to find ways to get people to come in and spend a little bit more. And that leads me around to something else that they announced, and that was called upfront parking. So you pay your $20 and you get to park in the main lot. Now they're, for an additional fee, they'll let you park up front. Now, for those of us who have been going to the parks for a long time, there has always been a special area that was sectioned off, and it was usually, or typically or historically, for people who were of the rental car company who had rented cars from the rental car company that Disney was affiliated with, whether it was Alamo or National or whoever it was over the years. I think even at one point it was Hertz, if I'm not mistaken. They would let the people who had those rental cars park up front there, and they could be closest to the entrance to the Magic Kingdom or uh, closest to Epcot and so on. Now they're charging for that privilege. And again, it's, it's more to just be able to go in and do that. Now there's a rumor floating around, and I don't know if there's any truth to this rumor at all, that they're going to uh, reduce the number of trams or maybe even eliminate the tram service completely from the parking lots to make people walk because it, you know, it costs money to have the trams running back and forth. So why not have people walk? Now, again... If that's the case, then you're detracting from the experience. One of my favorite things is the tram ride. I know it sounds totally ridiculous, but I love 
parking my car and riding the tram. There's just something really cool about that. It's sort of like an attraction before you even enter the park. And it's, it's a, just a fun thing to be able to do. And it kind of builds the hype and the excitement. And if they were to take that away, it would be disappointing. I understand it from an economic perspective, but everything should not be about the economy of it. There should be certain things that they're doing and continue to do because they're the right things to do. You know, guests have to walk a fairly long distance from a large parking lot to the entrance. Why not continue to have the trams there? Now, it may just be that they'll reduce the tram service down so they won't have them coming as often. I'm not sure where that's going to come. I'm not sure what's going to come to pass on that. It's hard to say exactly what they have in mind, but I have heard that rumor to be happening. So we're kind of back to that, my rant previously about, you know, sort of Disney and the middle class and what's happening there and things that are changing. And I don't want to start ranting about that again. It's, you know, I've, I've said my piece about it, and I just think that Disney needs to find a better way to kind of balance crowd size and letting people use the parks. Things have changed a lot over the years, certainly, both at Walt Disney World and at Disneyland, with the number of people that come in the parks and things that are happening. And certainly it's, you know, it's more of a destination that people want to come. And certainly more people live closer to Disneyland than they ever did or within, within a short flight. And more people live close to Disney World than ever did before. All of the groves and everything else that was on the outskirts, that's all been sold off. And there's homes there now. And there's more people living there. And there's more people in the area. And Orlando has grown to be this enormous sized city where it never was before. So people talk about they want to live close by. And they actually purchase homes that are close by. And then they buy an annual pass. And they're going more frequently. Goods and bads go with that. Now the, crowd, the, now the crowds are higher. And there are more people in there. So it's a question of kind of where it all goes, you know, what, what changed and what happened and that sort of thing. So I find it kind of interesting how that all kind of comes together because Disney needs to find a way to kind of balance that and make it work. And with DVC and everything else that they're doing, they have to find a better way to balance it and make sure that, you know, they're not excluding people and people get in, get into things. Now on the positive side, because I don't want to go negative here, the positive side, Disney made some changes to FastPass and uh, the FastPass Plus system. And these are actually very good changes. So now, instead of having to book all three of your FastPass experiences, you only have to book one, which is really a positive thing because I'll tell you, for someone who would go to the parks for like a day, sometimes I only wanted to see one thing. So I would book all three FastPasses because it would tell me I had to, and then I would just cancel the other two after I booked them. It was more work for me, but I thought it was the right thing to do to go ahead and cancel the experiences I wasn't going to use so someone else could take advantage of them rather than just letting them lapse. That's the kind of person I am. But now they're going to allow you to book just one if you want to. And then after you've used that one, you can use the app on your phone to actually book another one. And after you've used the three, if you booked all three, you can use the app on your phone to do it then too. So it's a really nice feature that they're offering now to kind of tweak that a little bit. They've also changed some of the tiering within the Fast Passes so that you can pick more attractions that are suitable for you. You're not limited as much as you were. They still limit you to a degree but not limited in the same way now that you can book more fast passes. So think about it in the experience that you had when we had the paper-based fast pass tickets that you would walk in and you would walk over to say Toy Story Midway Mania if you were in the studios and you would get your fast pass for it and then you would go off and do something else and then come back later and use the fast pass to be able to ride the uh, Toy Story Midway Mania. And then you would go and get another fast pass and do something else and you would kind of play the game around the day and you would be walking over to somewhere to get your fast pass and then go somewhere else and get another fast pass. Now what they're doing is they're allowing you to do that on your phone. And it's a little bit more efficient and you'll be able to do more with it. You're able to get the uh, fast pass experiences you want more like the paper-based fast pass system. 
And that leads me around to them rolling out FastPass Plus to Disneyland. So they're going to do away with the paper tickets there as well and use a modified version of what FastPass Plus looks like in Disney World to make sure that there's a good experience for the guests who go to Disneyland and you can just book them on your, on your phone, on your device, as you're in the park and you can do different things and that way you don't have to get the paper-based FastPass but you're still using essentially the same system that the FastPass paper-based system used in Disneyland. So it's not a huge change at this point for Disneyland. It's just a little bit more efficient rather than having to walk around and get the tickets at the kiosks. So kind of a nice thing. Now you can still use the kiosks that they have around different places if you don't have an app on your phone. Uh, the um, RFID band won't be the same at Disneyland as it is in Disney World. I think they offer the band at Disneyland or will be, but uh, primarily they'll be using the, uh, the cardstock ticket with the RFID in it to be able to book your fast passes, which is no different than it was when you were putting the card in the fast pass machine to get the paper ticket back. So essentially that you things are just moving to a uh, technology that way. Now, something else I noticed fast pass plus has come under a lot of fire, particularly from advocates of groups that have uh, special needs. And they did away with the guest assistance card a couple of years ago, and they added in the disability assistance pass, which is a slight variation on it that uses the FastPass system for it. Now, the thing is that people sued because it changed the nature of the way the system worked for people who had special needs. Now, Disney changed it to a large degree to match up with their FastPass system, but also because there were some people who were taking advantage of it and offering tours using people who were in wheelchairs or otherwise disabled so that they could take advantage of giving people tours around the park for a fee and taking advantage of not having to wait in line. So to Disney's credit, I think they handled it right in a general sense where they got the process moving to more of this fast pass system instead of doing all of these things where people could just take advantage of the system. So good for them. The problem is that people think that they're being treated unfairly, especially when they have a disability of some kind, whether it's, whether it's autism or whether it's a physical disability or whatever it might be. So a lot of them are sued. Now, many of the lawsuits have been settled, settled out of court, settled in court, Whatever the case may be, a lot of them have been taken care of. So there's been several that have come down and the, you know, the judge has ruled in several cases on, in Disney's favor, basically saying that Disney didn't violate any laws in what they're doing. They are offering accommodations for people with disabilities so they can still get in, they get, the, they get into the attractions they want to get to, and because they're a private company, they don't have to provide any special accommodations in that sense beyond what they're doing. The people still, there are still several lawsuits pending and still, some still working their way through the courts. It probably won't be resolved for some time, but I understand their perspective. They're looking for a means to be able to not have to wait in line. So what happens is when you've registered for the disability assistance pass, you go up and you can basically bypass the, the whole app system and get a return time that puts you in the FastPass Plus line to be able to enter pretty quickly. Now, they're getting better about the FastPass Plus lines being shorter than the actual standby lines. So that's actually working more to their advantage. It's starting to work out. It still has some kinks in it, and I think it'll take some time before it actually works and you know, does the things you want it to do. But in a general sense, it seems to be moving in the right direction. So Disney is doing some good things there to help people out, and so they still have to wait in a short line. What I, some of these people are looking for is to not wait in line at all. And I don't know that Disney can accommodate that anymore, given the changes to the system. I'm not sure, but it seems to me at this point that they're losing their legal battle with Disney and will have to accommodate and adjust to be able to go through the, the Disney way. 
and I don't have any firsthand experience with this. I don't know what it's like to stand in line with someone who is disabled, whether it's cognitively or physically that can't stand. I don't know what that's like, so I can't speak to it. I can only tell you that it continues to work its way through the courts, and Disney is trying to accommodate where it's appropriate. Oh, and speaking of people living close to Disney, I did see that Golden Oaks is now open for sale. Now, the Golden Oaks homes started about $2 million and are actually on Disney property. So you get a chance to live the dream and live on Disney property. The problem is you're in a highly and tightly controlled area where a homeowners association that you might see in other communities would pale by comparison. Disney will control every facet of what you do and how you do it because you're living on their private property. You're uh, buying some land from them to live in there, but they, they control everything that happens outside of your doors. So essentially, a large company is controlling everything that, that happens in the community and so forth. While it might be a nice place to live, I'm not convinced that it would be the kind of place that most people would want to live because of the highly controlled nature of it. And Disney not really giving anybody anything. It's just sort of you're living there and you're buying a home from the Disney company to live on their property. You know, I'm sure the amenities are great and they look like really nice homes and so forth, but I'm just not convinced that it's a great idea, though I'm sure some people will really enjoy it and take it in. And I've heard people say, oh, if I had the money, I'd buy into it. I'm not sure that I would. If I had that kind of money, I might buy somewhere else and buy myself a premium annual pass so I could go and visit as much as I want to. Now, talking about Walt Disney World for a minute, there's a lot of things going on. Now, over at the Hollywood Studios, there are walls everywhere. It's walls, walls, everywhere, wall. You walk along and there's pretty much walls everywhere as they start to build Toy Story Land and they start to build uh, Star Wars Land. So it's become a very walled-off area. They're trying to do their best to accommodate and make some things that are available and accessible and keep everything else running. But it's an interesting place to be right now for the next several months as they start, start to open more things up. Now, they will be opening the third queue of Toy Story Midway Mania around the end of this month sometime. So that attraction will have more capacity. Now, they announced a couple of things that are coming into the uh, Hollywood Studios in the Toy Story Land. And that'll be the Slinky Dog Dash, which is really a roller coaster that you've, you're inside Slinky Dog going around. And then Alien Swirling Saucers, that'll be something like the teacups in a way, where you're swirling around in these alien saucers where I, while a claw comes down from the middle. Sounds like it could be kind of fun. Over in the Tower of Terror, they're talking about putting a bar on one side of it so that you actually have some adult entertainment and can actually take in the hotel from a different perspective. That sounds like an interesting idea, and I want to see how they actually do something with that. Over in Disney Springs, there's now a town center neighborhood. It offers unique dining and shopping that includes the Edison, the Coca-Cola store. There's other things that are coming there, and uh, it's a little more interesting because most of the walls have come down over there now. I'm going to be making a trip up there soon, and I'll have to give you a report of what it looks like after I see it. Over in Epcot, there are two attractions that will be opening up this summer. The first one is the Frozen Ever After ride, and uh, you'll see Anna and Elsa and be immersed in the world of Arendelle as you go around, and you see the story of Frozen. Also opening, and actually this will be opening a little bit earlier, it's opening Memorial Day weekend, is the new exhibit Soarin' Over the World. Soarin' Over the World is a variation on the theme of Soarin' Over California. They've taken a whole new video that they've done around the world at many landmarks around the world, including the Great Wall of China, the uh, Eiffel Tower in France, all of the Disney theme parks around the world, several other notable, uh, I believe the uh, pyramids of uh, Egypt are, are in there, the pyramids of Giza are in there, and there's a lot of other things that are recognizable that they fly past. 
Now, here's where this gets more interesting, is that more like the new Star Wars, more like the revised Star Tours, instead of just being one video that's always the same, they will have some different elements that will come up, and so each one of your trips could be a little bit different. The length of time that you spend in flight will be about the same amount of time that you spent when you were soaring over California, but the elements you see on the screen may be different every time that you come into the show. And I think that's kind of cool. They'll be managing pretty much the same thematic music, though it's a little more updated and a little bit different. And uh, it's true of California as well. California will also be getting soaring over the world instead of soaring over California. Now, there still will be some California elements there. Some of the sites that you saw in the soaring over California will still be there. It's just going to be a little bit more broad and looking at the worldview. Now, one of the more interesting general topics is what you see happening in Disney's Animal Kingdom. The Animal Kingdom typically closes around sundown. And what they're trying to do is extend it out beyond sundown, but they also are being very careful not to impact the animals that live on the savanna on the outskirts of the Animal Kingdom Park. So what they're doing is they're coming up with some nighttime entertainment and some celebration things that will keep the noise levels and light levels low so as not to impact the animals that are around it. So one of the things that I've seen videos of, I saw the, the preview videos of the Tree of Life coming alive. And what they're doing is they're doing these uh, animations on the Tree of Life itself. Similar to the way they did the uh, pictures on the castle, on Cinderella's castle at the end of the evening, they have this camera that can project an image across the, the textured contour of the Tree of Life and actually look like it's, got, it's coming to life. They can put all kinds of different lights on it. They can show animated movies, parts of different shows, and different things like that to really make it come to life. It's really, really cool. It's a very good idea, and I think it's a, a really neat thing. That's supposed to open Memorial Day weekend as well. You'll start to be able to go in and enjoy this. They will also be adding a nighttime Kilimanjaro Safari and a nighttime Kali River Rapids, so you can enjoy those both when it's partially dark out. Now, the uh, video that I saw of the Kilimanjaro Safaris looks actually kind of neat because they'll do some low-level lighting and uh, go around and see some of the nocturnal animals that are out on the savanna. Now, I also saw a video of the preview of the Rivers of Light show. Now, the Rivers of Light show looks like it could be really cool. I know they've had some technical issues and they can't overcome everything, so they haven't quite gotten to the point of making it work yet. But what I saw of them doing some of the preview were really, really cool. They had these like water lilies that were shooting up, shooting up water, and they were projecting images into that water that was going up in the air. And then at times, with the way they had the water going across, it would actually create a mist that was coming down, and they were showing video in that mist. Kind of like when you go through the Pirates of the Caribbean and you see the, um, the foggy stuff that's in the, beginning, in the beginning sequence where they have like um, Davy Jones and uh, Captain Barbosa projected onto the fog. The same kind of a thing was going on here. It looked really, really neat. I was like, wow, this is really cool. I like this idea. And I really look forward to seeing what they do with it. And also look over at the Haunted Mansion in the Magic Kingdom for a new Hitchhiking Ghosts interactive element. That's really cool. And it looks really, really good. I mean, it's a nice, nice job where they've kind of taken it further and they're, you know, the little clue to you is that they're introducing some elements where they're looking at your magic band and bringing back information to try and communicate directly with you. Ooh, cool. Now, two other things I wanted to talk about. First was over in Disneyland. There was a huge story a couple weeks ago about somebody taking a selfie stick on the Screamin' Over California ride. That's the roller coaster that goes up uh, on Paradise Pier. 
and somebody had taken a selfie stick and apparently it, uh, there was a ride shutdown as a result of it. I'm not sure what happened exactly to cause the shutdown, but people were stuck on the ride for about an hour while they had to go and get them off there. I mean, that's pretty narcissistic to want to take a picture of yourself on, an, on a roller coaster like that where you have to have a selfie stick that's not allowed anyway and actually shut down the ride for some period of time. There was something kind of strange about that and oddly, you know, kind of amusing about the whole thing. Uh, you know, you, you just you wonder about people sometimes. And speaking about wondering about people, I heard the story about Shanghai Disneyland and the number of locals that came in and just basically trashed the gardens and the, uh, the entryways. And it was just a mess. You know, people came there and just made a huge mess of, the, of everything that was there. Uh, they, they trashed the, uh, the grass areas. They tore up the grass. It just became a, a, a nightmare. And I certainly hope that that doesn't continue to happen. I mean, Disney is really good about keeping up their horticulture and making things look beautiful and pristine. It's just a shame that some people chose to uh, destroy it in some way. And finally today, I'd like to talk about a documentary called Bob Gurr, Turning Dreams into Reality. This documentary tells the story of one of Disney's earliest Imagineering legends. Bob Gurr's career spanned 45 years, creating 250 projects with Disney and beyond. And they explore all of that in this video. From Disneyland to Las Vegas, Olympic spectaculars to rock star shows, Bob's creations included monorails, Abraham Lincoln mechanical animations, pirate battle shows, even massive animated figures of King Kong and Godzilla. Viewers will learn much about how these attractions were created from those who were sharing these creations with him. Eight theme park creators who worked with Bob over the years will describe the unique ways in which he created a vast variety of attractions. The cast includes Disney ambassador to the world, Marty Sklar. Well, Bob was always the, the uh, go-to guy for Walt on anything that moved. Uh, and it didn't matter that Walt thought he was an engineer and Bob never had any direct engineering training. He was Imagineer Chris Crump. So Bob took these things as, you gotta go do this, and he'll, he'll tell the story, I don't know how to engineer a car, how am I supposed to come up with this? But, but Walt gave it to him, and it was like, okay, I don't wanna let him down. Imagineering VP Craig Russell and many others. And Bob is the kind of guy that would dive into something that he's tasked to do, having never done it, and just figure it out. He's continually, eternally curious. He is always wanting to know more about how things work, why they do this, why they do that. He's always learning. But to come up with conceptual designs like Bob, uh, I don't think there's anybody you know, like him, or I don't think there ever will be. I'll put a link to where you can get a copy of it in my show notes page. It's available via Ape Pen Publishing. I have to tell you that I really look forward to watching this. I've, I've seen the preview of it from the, uh, from the publishers, and I really want to watch the whole thing. I've kind of got my appetite whetted. As you may know, Bob Gurr is one of the people that I most admire for his longevity, for some of the things he did. He was, one of the, he was the guy who created a lot of the things, the vehicles that you see all around Disney World, Disneyland, everywhere. As I've mentioned in the past, he was responsible for the design of the monorails. And that is one of the most interesting machines I've ever experienced. And I've talked about monorails at length, as you know. So Bob is one of those guys that really intrigues because of what he's been able to do over the course of his career. So I really look forward to seeing this. And I wanted to make sure I shared this with my listeners so that you all were aware of it too. So please do check out the uh, link over on uh, Ape Pen Publishing. 
And I, I really am fascinated to see how this com- comes out at the end. Bob's creations over his 45-year career, some 250 projects for a variety of clients from Disney to Universal Studios to Michael Jackson to Las Vegas mogul Steve Wynn to more. I, it just It's amazing to me how, how much he did and what he's been able to get into and some of the things that he's done. This hour-long video should be really cool to talk about his life. Well, there you go. That's my podcast for this week. I think I've covered a wide variety of topics, and I hope you enjoyed it. At the end of my podcasts, I end with, if we can dream it, we can certainly do it, which is often attributed to Walt Disney, but it wasn't Walt himself who said it. It was one of his Imagineers, and it's still a great line. But there is a quote from Walt Disney that I really love, and I wanted to share it with you. All your dreams can come true if you have the courage to pursue them. And so I'd just like to remind you about that. Have the courage to pursue your dreams. And remember, if we can dream it, we can certainly do it. Thank you for tuning in to the Disney View Podcast. We hope you had a pleasant stay and arrive home safely. Please remain seated until your ride vehicle stops completely. Then, gather your personal belongings and step out onto the moving platform. And yes, I know it went by so quickly, but don't worry. One of the nice things about traveling on this podcast is that the journey is just beginning. Show notes are available on DisneyWorldPodcast.net. While there, please check out some of our affiliates. You'll also find links to Dave's iPhone and iPad apps. There's an app for pin trading, one for finding hidden Mickeys, and an app for finding and tracking pressed pennies around the Walt Disney World Resort. And you never know just what Dave is working on next. If you have questions, feel free to drop Dave an email at davesdisneyview at gmail.com. Original music you're hearing in this podcast is Oslo Doom by Gilberto Gil. Of course, this is a fan podcast and in no way affiliated with the Walt Disney Company. 